Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see you all here today worshiping. We want to spend, uh, extend a special welcome to those who are visiting with us um, for the first time. We don't uh, welcome people in a, individually since the beginning of COVID, uh, but we're glad you're here. And afterwards, as we're getting a chance to greet each other, um, I'm sure you'll be greeted <laughs> by several people here. We're glad you're here. Uh, I want to ask Joanne if you would please turn on more lights. This is just the kind of brightness that is conducive to a nice little morning nap. <laughs> and could you give me these too? Yes, all of them. <laughs> the older I get, the darker it seems. So, Oh, we're going to look at the Bible together. We're in the book of Ephesians, working through it and seeing the incredible number of good lessons for us as people seeking God, seeking faith, trusting, seeking to know God better and know Jesus better. Uh, so let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to open our hearts to what He has for us in our study this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your presence here. Lord, for your example of love that you gave up yourself so we can be forgiven and saved. That you took our place in suffering and in death to redeem us. Lord, that you promised the Holy Spirit to all those who put their faith in you. Lord Jesus, we ask You to open our hearts and minds and work in each of us today that we might hear Your truth and apply it to our lives and live more fully into the good things You have for us, more fully into Your love. Purify us and cleanse our hearts and minds, Lord. Make us new and strengthen us, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And we might walk side by side and in step with You and Your will, Your way. May the words of my mouth, Lord, the thoughts of our hearts be inspired by You and pleasing to You. Lord Jesus, You're our rock and redeemer. And Heavenly Father, we're praying in Your Son's name for these things. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Well, we concluded last week in our study. We were in, we're in the middle of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4 if you want to grab a pew Bible or your own Bible and turn there. And we were just looking briefly at the subject of anger. Uh, there's a time and a place we saw, be angry and sin not, Paul writes there. There's a time and a place for the anger of uh, indignation at injustice. Righteous indignation, we'd say. Uh, but Paul immediately warns, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. And holding on to anger is one of those things that gives the devil, a foothold in our lives. Holding on to anger is another way of saying holding on to a grudge. Holding on to a grudge. Why do you get angry? Somebody's crossed you somehow. 
hurt you somehow, and your response is, ah, oh, that hurt, what are you doing? And holding on to it then becomes a grudge. Okay, I'm mad at you. We'll, we'll, we'll see where this takes us. I'll get even. That's holding on to anger, holding on to a grudge. It's taking offense at someone for something and not letting go of that offense. And we're going to see that's actually one of the biggest footholds the devil can get in our lives. It's when we're offended, we hold on to the offense and we don't let it go. That becomes a foothold for the devil. In the next verses, Paul shows us how we're supposed to respond to an offense. And we're not supposed to let the sun go down in our, on our anger. We're supposed to get rid of it. Verse 29 and following. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, maybe you remember somewhere Jesus said that we're going to be judged by every word that comes out of our mouths. Every single word. We're going to be judged for it. Now, what we say with our mouth can be healing balm for somebody that hears it, or it can be a sword that pierces their heart, and not in a nice way. It could be something that, you know, even in among the most uh, people who are closest to each other, what we say to each other can lacerate us and hurt us and alienate us and lead to a kind of alienation and, and, and holding on to a grudge. And how many... Children, as they grow up, can remember some phrase, some word, some sentence that a teacher uttered or a parent uttered in a moment of frustration and anger that cut them and they could tell you what it is to this day. They could tell you what that phrase was to this day. By our words, we'll be judged. And so Paul warns us, be careful. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's helpful for building others up according to their need. And somewhere in the Proverbs, it talks about putting a knife to our throat. Right? Watch what comes out of your mouth. Be careful. Because you're going to be judged by that. God's going to say, hey, did you remember when you said this? Oh, I wanted to forget that. Well, I remember. Now, praise Jesus. Praise the Father that we've got forgiveness of sin. We just sang about that in that hymn. Uh, but there are some things that cause God to not forgive us. And we need to hear what those are this morning. And holding on to anger and a grudge is one of them, as you're going to see shortly. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Paul continues. Verse 30. Chapter 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I just want to pause there. You know that when you receive Christ, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to come live within you. He's the down payment for our redemption. The presence of God within us to write on our hearts and minds the law of God's love the presence of God within us to help us to do God's will, to comfort us. He's called the, the paraclete, and that's the Greek word for him, which is translated as advocate in the Gospels. It means he's the one who comes alongside us and helps us in our situation. 
as believers to walk with God to help us. But it's possible to grieve Him. What does that mean? It means to cause sorrow or distress, emotional pain to God, to Christ, to the Spirit of God living within us. And it's possible to do that by what we say, what we think, and what we do. Genesis 6 describes God's attitude when He saw what was going on in the minds of the human race. He said He looked and all of them, their thoughts were continually evil all the time. And God was grieved that He made them. Now that's the pre-flood uh, place of the human race and how God felt about the fact that people were just thinking evil thoughts all the time. And of course, you think evil thoughts, what do you do? How do you act? Come straight out of that. It grieved him. Ezekiel 8 describes in a physical picture the increasing, overwhelming grief of God as terrible idolatry was taking place among his people, which led up to the exile. And there's this picture Ezekiel go, the Spirit of God lifts Ezekiel up and he takes him to the, he's in with the exiles over in the east of Israel, east of Judah in the land of the Babylonians. And the Spirit of God picks him up and takes him to the temple and shows him four different visions of idolatry in the temple. You know, and, and the, the first one there, I'll, I'll read it to you. Son of man, I looked... Look towards the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. Why is it called that? It's because it's a false god. It was right there in the temple. That was dedicated to the true God. And the people of God had brought in, right into God's presence, a competing idol. One of the demons the nations were worshipped. An idol that provokes God to jealousy. There's only one God. Why are you giving your devotion to somebody else? Right here in my face. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you'll see things even more detestable than this. And he brought me to the entrance to the court and I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. They had built a secret room in the temple precinct. And he said to me, Son of man, dig into the wall. And I dug into the wall and I saw a doorway there. He said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things they're doing here. And I went in and looked and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals and all the idols of the house of Israel. So they had a secret sanctuary inside the temple dedicated to all the demon idols of the nations and doing things in there, despicable things, and right here inside, within, secretly, inside what was supposed to be the house of God. In front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel. Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them, so he was one of the chief priests, a leader. And each had a censer in his hand. A fragrant cloud of incense was rising. They were praying to these things, instead, these lifeless, empty things, instead of the true God. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord's forsaken the land. 
And again, he said, you'll see them doing things that are even more detestable. And there's two more things. People worshiping inside the temple precinct, one of the Canaanite goddesses, and and people, a, a whole group of priests right in front of the temple, bowing down to the sun and worshiping it. That great big ball of gas in the sky. Turning it into their idol instead of God. Then he said, now this is verse 17, continues, Have you seen this, son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the house of Judah to do the detestable things they're doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually provoke me to anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. That's the equivalent of this. Okay? To God. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I'll not look on them with pity or spare them. And although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. You wonder why they stopped, uh, he stopped answering prayer in that time. And why he could stop answering prayer. Because if we've got idolatry stored away in our heart, if we have thoughts that are wicked, if we're grieving God so much that we can grieve Him to the point where He's like, you don't want me. And so I'm going to withdraw. And that's what happens to the temple and to Judah and Jerusalem. God lifts off. He shows Ezekiel this vision of His Spirit lifting off the temple. His presence removed from there because it was such a grief to Him to be continually provoked by the disobedience, the idolatry, the unfaithfulness, the wicked thoughts, the wicked deeds, the violence, the evil that was among his people. And so he lifts off his presence and he leaves the temple and he departs. And he doesn't come back for quite like a long time. We're talking seven decades. He doesn't come back. In fact, he doesn't come back in his fullness again until Jesus arrives. Now, why tell all this? Because this is a physical picture of grieving the Spirit of God. And it's possible for us as believers to do the same thing. We can say we believe in Jesus, but actually live like those pagan people of Judah, having substitutes for God in our lives, idols that we put up, things that we make more important than Him in our lives. Violence that we entertain by the way we live. Wicked thoughts that we let fill our heads. Grinding our teeth and holding a grudge. Being angry, bitter. That We're going to get there to what to do with all this in a minute. The point is, it's possible by what we say, what we do, what we watch, how we behave, to grieve God's Spirit. And you'll notice it in your own spirit when that's happening. You'll get like a sinking feeling. Well, my gosh, God is sad at this. God is sad. That's what grief is, right? It's sorrow for a loss. God is sad. He's grieved. And I feel it. I feel like, oh, God, where are you? Oh, sorry. Well, hopefully it provokes you to sorrow. Right? And when God's people get into this place and they're grieving the Spirit of God continually, you know, we should not think that we're immune from God withdrawing His favor and blessing from us if we live in such a way as to grieve Him all the time. Right? Now, it's one thing to understand that we sin and stumble every day and we need grace and forgiveness every day to get up and start over every day. 
say. We do. It's another thing to live like these folks that I just read from Ezekiel 8 who were provoking God and living in defiance of Him and despising God and disrespecting Him, but sort of kind of background still hoping He'd bless them. That's something very different, right? That calls for repentance. Or judgment to come. When we look at, uh, we looked a little bit last week at the condition of hardness of heart. And Mark 3 to 5 is a passage I referred to. It describes an episode in a synagogue on, on a Sabbath when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. And he asked the religious leaders if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. They were watching him to see if he would do something that they could complain about because they were already kind of bothered by him. And it says that they said nothing. So he asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, is it lawful to go help your donkey if he fell into a pit on the Sabbath? And of course, the rhetorical answer is obvious. But they said nothing. And his response is he was grieved. Mark 3, 5, he was grieved at their hardness of heart. He healed the man anyway. And it says they turned around and went out and began to plot how to kill him. So you can see why he'd be grieved. Grieved at their attitude. You know, he's come to bring life and love and healing and goodness. And all they can think about is their little box of control. And he's, he's challenging that. And it grieved him. So you see, as Christians who have the Holy Spirit, it's still possible for us to think and speak and act in worldly and evil ways when you realize that these things grieve the Spirit of God, and when the Spirit of God is in you grieving, you cannot have joy and peace. You just got to say that. You can't. So if you're not having joy and peace, and you're a Christian who believes in Jesus, then you need to start searching your heart and asking, Lord, where am I grieving you? Or where have I grieved you in the past and covered it over? That secret place. That room inside my temple where I've got squirreled away unclean things because it grieves you. And how can I rest in peace if you're grieved? I can't. So please come. Help me clean out the room. Open it up and invite you into it. And you can do that. You can make the choice to do that so that you can live again in the joy and peace and fullness of God. Now Paul continues. Get rid, and this is now a kind of a a full circle answer to what he's just said about getting rid of anger, not letting the sun go down on it. Now verse 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Now that means they could have it. Brothers and sisters, if you've got any of those things in that list, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, Slander, malice, God is calling you to get rid of it. It is not His will that you hold on to that. It is against His will. It's a sin to hold on to any of that. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now that's really where I want to focus. This is all prelude, by the way. Yeah, we got time. 
This is really where we all need to focus because the spiritual discipline of forgiving others is absolutely vital to your spiritual life and your eternal destiny. Well, you, you all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses as we forgive. It's an if-then logic. Right? If you don't forgive, in fact, in Matthew, this is the only phrase Jesus gives commentary on in His Sermon on the Mount where He says, I'll find it. If you forgive men, this is Matthew 6, 14, if you, for if you, after giving the Lord's Prayer, He gives this commentary, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will for, also forgive you. If then. But if you will do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So, if you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. If you want to live in God's grace to you, you must give it to others. That's why Paul says here, be imitators of God. And in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now you see, Jesus gave Himself up for you so you could be forgiven. So how dare you think that you could hold, me too, hold, that we could hold on to something that we need to forgive somebody else for? If we want to be forgiven by God who paid the price of His own life at His own blood by torture, horrific execution, all for love of us so we could be redeemed, who are we to think that we could hold on to bitterness, anger, a grudge, unforgiveness against other people? Now listen, I know that things happen to us in life that are so horrific for some of us that forgiving them seems impossible. I get that. If you read you know, the story of many people and you read about the kind of things that happened to them in their childhood, uh, you know, and the, the, the things that are done, that are said, uh, continual rejection, abandonment, uh, harsh, wicked words, hatred, all kinds of things that have happened to them, and, and uh, betrayal, um, abuse, molestation, all the terrible things that can happen to people. I realize, and God realizes, that forgiveness is hard. In fact, it may be, seem to be impossible. But Jesus didn't give any qualifiers in that Matthew 6 passage. Well, okay, if you were hurt especially bad, you don't have to forgive. Is that there? It is not there. No, what if God had done that? Well, okay, Jesus just died for some sins. Whoa, boy, we'd be in trouble. Because here's the thing about not forgiving others. It turns a blind eye to our own need for forgiveness. 
As if we were not sinners in need of mercy. As if we've done nothing wrong. As if we've never had any offense, never lied, never stolen, never cheated, never treated somebody else badly, never etc., etc., etc. To not forgive somebody else is to ignore one's own shortcoming. And man, if you know yourself, you know that that is total lie. That's total self-deception. If you can't look at yourself and say, you know what, I am in need of mercy. I'm a sinner. And I'm in trouble if I don't have mercy from God. Because my deeds aren't righteous all the time. My thoughts aren't righteous all the time. My, my, my speech isn't righteous all the time. And oh man, when you're convicted of that, you realize ooh, how important it is to forgive others. Because you want to be forgiven yourself. You know, the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 is really the perfect vehicle for this. You know, the, the context is Jesus has just finished explaining to the disciples how to get reconciled with each other. And if you read that Matthew 18 passage before this parable of the unmerciful servant, you'll see that He talks about if your brother uh, offends you, go and, and confront them one-on-one. -on -one. And if they listen to you, good, you've won them back. But if not, then go get somebody else, one or two others to come alongside and be witnesses so the truth of the matter can be established. And if they listen to you in that context, you kind of get objective witnesses on the conflict, then great, you've run, won your brother back. And if, and if they still don't listen, then take it to the body of the church. It's kind of like a jury trial, like a bigger picture perspective on what's happening. Let's get people to make an objective judgment on what's happening here. Help us. And then he says, if you still can't reconcile, then you can, you can go your separate ways. You know, you can treat them like you would the pagans and the tax collectors. I'm not really going to get into all that this morning, but it's the lead-in right to when Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times should I forgive my, my brother? All right? Jesus just, the, the whole point of that reconciliation work is to come to the place of forgiveness and unity again. All right? Brothers and sisters, we've got to do that to stay united with each other, work through our stuff, do it one-on-one. -on -one. If you can't get to peace, get somebody else. Work through to unity. Because when we're unified, the Spirit uses us in amazing ways. But Peter now is actually looking for an out. It's worth reading that passage. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times enough? That's like God's perfect number. And Jesus says, not seven, but 70 times seven, which is really a way of saying, don't stop. You know, just keep on forgiving. It's not like, okay, we've got a 490. <laughs> it's 491 and I'm not forgiving you anymore. That is not what Jesus meant. Keep on forgiving because God keeps on forgiving. You want to live in God's forgiveness, keep on then you keep on forgiving. And he did, and then he gives that parable of the unmerciful servant. Keep forgiving, never stop. You know, and we, we can be sure of his meaning because he compares our forgiving others to, with God forgiving us. Do we want God to ever stop forgiving us? No. You know, uh, you heard the story. Nancy read it. You probably heard it before this servant who's 
got a huge debt, 10,000 talents, you know, an enormous amount of money, 60 million days wages. Get your head around that. It was impossibly large. And the servant, like the servant, every human being owes God a huge debt. I mean, it's the debt that the people of Judah had accumulated by thumbing their nose against God. It's the debt that we have because we're alienated rebels. Right? I mean, we're born like that. Kind of like, mom and dad told me to do something. I'm not going to do it. You know, God tells me to do something. I'm not going to do it. I think I know better. That's kind of built into us. You know, the wages is sin. That sin is death. So we got a huge debt. And here's God coming on the scene and saying, I love you so much, I don't want you to... Like the master in this parable, he sees the servant stuck in this terrible position and he forgives the debt. He cancels it. Servant comes in, he says, just give me time, I'll repay it. Which was highly unrealistic. Yeah, give me a few days. I'll get that 60 million days wages. All right. The master cancels the debt. Let's it go. And and so the guy is living in undeserved favor in grace, right? In mercy. And then there's somebody who comes along, he, he comes across another servant who owes him a couple of days wages. It's a pitiful amount. Let's see. A hundred denarii, which is way smaller. You know, three months' wages, something like that. But instead of forgiving him, he takes him by the throat and said, No, I won't forgive you. You're going to pay me back. And until you do, I'm going to arrange for your family to be thrown in jail. Right? Now, the other servants watching that were grieved at the inequity of treatment. And they go and tell the master. And the master comes back in, brings him back in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger... His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. That's what unforgiveness will do to you. It will torture you. You know, and this is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He will turn you over to the consequences of not being forgiven. Now, do you want to be there? Now, you could say, I've been hurt so bad that yes, I want to be there. I just love my feelings of vengeance and and anger and nobody's going to step on me ever again. Fine. You can decide you want to be there, but I guarantee you that that is a place of torture. It's emotional torture. It eats your soul up within. It turns you into the kind of person you don't want to be, which is hateful and wicked and vengeful and spiteful and full of malice. That's what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness. Now, again, I I know that some things hurt so bad that it seems impossible. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. You may need to ask God for help. 
You may need to say, Lord, it hurt so bad what happened to me, what such and so did to me, or what they said to me, the way they failed me, that I can't forgive them. It just hurts too bad. And, and, and he knows how much it hurts. And that's where he may be, he's ready, and maybe he was waiting for you to admit that so that he can come in and say, now I'm going to give you a piece of what I did for you when I went to the cross. Because that's where the power of forgiveness ultimately comes from. God dying. God being the victim of all our malice, hatred, revenge, grudge-bearing, wicked thoughts, speech, and deeds, and taking it on Himself. Not so that He could turn around and get even, but so that He could cancel it. God hanging on the cross. And so He can give you the power to do the impossible. He can give you a piece of His forgiveness, divine forgiveness, that you can share. All you have to do is be willing to receive it. You've got a part to play. Oh Lord, I, I can't forgive, but I'm willing to be made willing. Come and give me what I can't do in my own strength. You know, like so much of the spiritual life you discover you can't do in your own strength, forgiveness can be like that sometimes. And you may need to be humbled. I'm just not hard. I'm not just not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not loving enough to do this hard thing you're asking me to do. Help me. Come and be my strength, and I'm willing. And I promise you, if you are willing to let God help you, He will help you. And it's such a relief to get out from underneath that burden of needing to take revenge in your heart. Then you don't have to live with that as the focus of how your life's energy gets squandered away into things that are worthless. Because that's what happens. When you let your, a part of your spirit hold on to unforgiveness, that part of your life gets squandered away into torture. Is it worth it? You know, you think about it. Who gets hurt? when we're angry with somebody and we won't forgive them. Well, yeah, certainly the relationship is alienated, but the pain lingers in you. You keep on paying the price because you won't forgive. Do you want that to be the place where you end up standing before God and He say, hey, such and so hurt you. Did you forgive them? No. They were too bad. Well, sorry, I don't forgive you either. God's done this work in me because as a typical human being, I've had uh, little grudges that I accumulated plenty through childhood. And, you know, whether it was the neighborhood bullies who chased me with a knife while I was riding my bicycle around Lower Saucon, or, you know, I could elaborate on my little tiffs in the world, but I won't. Um, but I... Re at some point in my 20s, when I started following Jesus and I got here to this part of his teaching, I realized, ooh, I got a lot of work to do in this zone. And as I started to do it, um, and consciously looking at those offenses, those places where I've been hurt or stepped on or treated badly, and consciously telling God, okay, I forgive them and forgive me for my hateful bitter, angry response that I swallowed all these years. 
Um, and people near and far, close and far away in my life that I had accumulated this kind of stuff to and realizing, you know what, Jesus, you, you died to forgive me. I don't have an excuse to hold on to this. Um, so it's time to do the work. And let me tell you, if you do the work of forgiving one past grudge, one per week, better yet, one per day, but that might be a little heavy, one per week at least, You'll start working through your old baggage and the huge bag of grudges you got you might have on your back that's actually weighing you down and crippling you emotionally, relationally, and spiritually torturing you. You start to empty that sack. Life gets lighter and better and happier and more full of joy. And you have more love to give because there's more room in you for that love from God. You're not grieving the Holy Spirit of God anymore. You're making Him happy because you're being gracious and merciful the way He is to you. And I experienced that. And there were times when I would forgive somebody, and after I said, okay, Lord, and I, you know, part of a forgiving process is sort of like grief. You've got to express what hurts, you've got to name it. And that's painful, it hurts. You know, like, oh my gosh, this happened, that really hurts. And that, speaking about that might have waves of different difficult feelings that come with it. But listen, God is big enough to hear all that. The honest confession of the heart, letting go naming and then being able to let go because you named it. You brought it out. I think of it like the uh, the Three Stooges. You remember, I think it was Curly, the guy with no hair, right? Isn't that Curly? And there were some episodes where he would have handkerchiefs that he'd start to... Who remembers the Three Stooges? <laughs> I'm dating myself here. <laughs> They're all black and white. Um, and he starts pulling these handkerchiefs out of his mouth. Like one after the other. And you're thinking, how the heck is he doing that? Where are they coming from? That is what the process of working through the garbage that we can accumulate emotionally in, in us is like. It can seem like it's just one after the other because we've let so many things accumulate. If indeed you have. If you're Italian, you probably dealt with it when it happened. <laughs> little ethnic joke there. I hope nobody was offended by that. Um, <laughs> honest expression of feelings that's what I meant by that but I also discovered this on the, at the, the result of me forgiving was that I began to have a tender heart again and I realized where I had failed those people where I had fallen short it wasn't just that they hurt me I had in my hurt become hard and treated them badly in ways they didn't deserve. And I was convicted by that after I forgave them. Okay, now it's time for me to forgive you. It's like God was saying, now I'm going to set you free and forgive you for what's been weighing on you. And I can remember concrete moments where I wept in sorrow for the way I treated loved ones and hadn't even known that that's what had been happening in me. Now, why am I telling you that? Because I'm your pastor and I'm trying to, I think, I have to lead by example. Right? And you need to know that I'm just human, just like you, that I got stuff I've wrestled with and, and will have to wrestle with. And, you know, from, there was a key point in my life where I knew there was stuff buried in me and I didn't know what it was and I had to ask God to start revealing it. I'm willing, Lord. You say the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. 
I'm willing to go look at mine with you. Help me. And when I invited him in to start doing that work, he started to do the work of purifying me. The work of the Holy Spirit. That's one of his works. It's called sanctification, you know. If you look at it in some of the old translations, it means making us holy, making us like God, purifying us. So that we have room for love at the far end. So here, this key teaching from Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How about that? We get, we're called to imitate our Master. And, you know, what did He say? For the joy set before Him, He embraced that suffering because He knew it would mean the redemption of many, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So for the joy before us, let's embrace the cross. Maybe you've got something that you need to forgive that requires you to realize you've got to embrace the peace of the cross to get there. Jesus will share that with you because you're imitating Him. All you have to do is just tell Him, I'm willing. Help me, Lord. I'm willing. Because I want to be forgiven. I want to live in the forgiveness You want for me. So I will obey You. And I will forgive others. Whatever it is. I don't want to walk around with a sack full of grudges anymore. I'm tired of being bowed down and stooped over and tortured by that. Amen? Good, good. That was a good response. Amen? Amen. All right. Now we're going to all go do it and do that. Amen? Amen? Good deal. Okay, this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.